Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Unapologetic Podcast. I'm your host, Erica Barboza, and today I'm accompanied by an outstanding female, Jessica Sagari. Welcome to the podcast, Jessica. How are you today? I'm doing so good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and chat with you today. No, we're so excited to have you too. Uh, you're honestly so outstanding. I can't wait for our audience to hear all your insightful experiences. Um, so Jessica, for a little context to our audience, has really worked her way up the corporate ladder and currently works as the Director of in Integrated Communications for one of my favorite brands, L'Oreal. So without further ado, uh, Jessica, I'll pass it off to you and you can go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, so I think you gave me such a great intro. Don't have too much to add, but I've had the pleasure of working in communications for the last 10 years, um, always in fashion and beauty, uh, and had the pleasure of working on brands such as Garnier, Maybelline, Essie, um, and back in fashion in our, at RW & Co., uh, and most recently on the L'Oreal Paris team for the last three years, uh, leading up their communications here in Canada. So always doing uh, what we call integrated communications. So it touches on social media, on influencer marketing, on content, um, and then those traditional public relations as well. So that's kind of what that word integrated encompasses, but it's been an amazing, fun journey. Um, and I'm happy to share some, some pieces from that with you all today. Awesome. So I guess to kind of kickstart talking about your journey, why don't we uh, backtrack a little bit to, you know, your educational background. Um, and I know Jessica and I have talked about this a little bit already and how there was a bit of a detour, but feel free to kind of share that with our audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd have to say like growing up, I've always had kind of this love for journalism. I I pretty much had in my mind, like I ran my college radio station. I was general manager of that for a year. Um, I just loved everything having to do with journalism, writing, uh, reporting, investigating. So I really thought that was my path. And I think up until like the last, last minute where we had to submit um, for university, I was I was all gung ho about going into journalism and communications, and being from a very uh, traditional Italian background, <laughs> you know, journalism isn't always like the the career field that was embraced from my parents' uh, mindset. Um, so last minute, you know, there's a lot of questions from their sides, although they were always very, very supportive. There was some questions on their side about, you know, what the job opportunities would be coming out from that. So it made me rethink kind of my path and um, I decided to apply actually into, into marketing in the end. So I felt like there was a lot of that creative side that comes in the communications, like writing and um, creating content that, you know, would transfer to marketing. So ended up applying to into marketing and doing a major in marketing and a minor in management and I think throughout my my university journey, I definitely gravitated and enjoyed the classes that were more creative that allowed me to flex that um, creative muscle a little bit. And then I love the fact that it kind of put together how content or creating different campaigns um, 
through uh, like different campaigns could translate into sales. So I, I found that part super interesting. And that's kind of what I love most in university was kind of the more creative aspects, those truly marketing campaign classes um, that allowed to bring creativity, but also translation to sales and to um, the business sphere. Uh, and then after school, I was lucky enough to get a great position at RW & Co, one of Reitman's banners. And it was a very, very small team at the time. So really got to experience many different aspects, communications, so social media, running different um, on the ground marketing programs, working with stores, um, you know, public relations and trying to get stuff featured. So it really gave me kind of like this great overview of the industry and, and to kind of decide where, where my path where I wanted to forge my path and what my passions were and continue forward. That's awesome. I love it. And even me, myself, um, you know, going, applying to universities, um, I had a few more, I guess, creative, less, um, I don't know, I guess less direct options that I had as well. And there was like this really awesome program at Ryerson. It's called Creative Industries. And I still think it's an amazing program. I know some people who are in it. And it seems amazing. You get like a lot of business experience, but then you also have like almost these, um, I forgot what the program calls them, but they're like these creative focuses that you have. And I believe you get to choose two. So you can do like fashion and dance or like, um, you know, stuff like that. And I think it's so awesome. But, you know, for me too, when I was applying to university, I had that hesitation where I was like, I don't know. And I had this fear that like, I wouldn't be able to go where I wanted to be because of that. Um, but I think like, it's so true that nowadays a lot, you know, no matter what degree you get, like you can end up totally somewhere else. Right. Yeah. I always like, I always think back of what would have happened if I would have like gone into the communications path, but it's so funny that I ended up kind of, basically I, I, it, I ended up in communications, but I just exactly. got there a different way. And I kind of really appreciate having the business background to where I got because I feel like I was exposed to a lot of those communication um, streams in college and through like my my volunteering at the college radio station and writing for different things back then so I really appreciate now having the business side from the education to go but I totally agree I think there's so much um almost meshing of different industries yeah. and different professions um, that I, I don't think like we're, we're being put in a box anymore in terms of what you study and then working in that industry. I think the more knowledge you have cross, cross industries and cross functions, the better for, for all roles. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge advantage that, um, like a lot of us can have nowadays is getting educated in different areas, different industries. Like it's a huge helping hand. I think that's something like super important for us students to, you know, keep in mind when we're applying to, to careers post-grad. Um, I think that's really important. So, you know, talking more about starting in retail, starting in fashion, um, how did you kind of get from there to where you are now? And I know it's probably a long journey, but kind of take us through maybe some of the experiences that you had. For sure. Yeah. So I loved um, my role, as I was saying, at our W and Cole. It really allowed me to touch on many, many things. Um, and then as the company grew, I kind of had to choose, choose a specialization. 
Um, so I went to social media because at that time it was just on the cusp of when businesses were really using social um, more and more. It was Facebook at the time, you know, through my journey, Instagram started. Um, so I chose social media just because one, I loved content. I love content production. I loved um, trying to get, find different ways to engage with consumers. And then two, I really felt like there was huge opportunities in that, in, in social to, to grow. Um, so I chose that and I, I did that for a few years there. I also worked on some other great projects, um, with them when L'Oreal approached me and asked me to come on board, um, to work on Maybelline, Essie and Garnier and do their social strategy and social execution. So for me, that was such, um, it was so like astonishing for me because I was a huge fan of Essie at the time. I think that at that point, that was in back in 2014, not to date myself too much, but um, <laughs> Essie had done a tremendous job in terms of marketing. I felt their branding was so on point. Um, they really had a great brand voice and a great community online. So I was really excited to be approached for the role because I I was a fan and really felt part of the community as well. So to be able to lead that conversation too from an online social perspective was really exciting for me. Um, and then once in the role, I just loved the fact it was kind of the first time that I got to work on multiple brands with very different brand personalities. Um, and I felt that just, you know, really drove my motivation and my passion even further because I'd be able to, you know, when we're talking about Garnier, it's all about natural beauty. And so I'd put on kind of that hat and then I'd move on to Maybelline, which is all about like, you know, expressing yourself through their amazing um, color cosmetics. And um, so I'd put on that hat. And then when we'd go to Essie, it was really color focused and trend focused. Um, and so it would be all about storytelling about their colors and bringing those to life. So it was um, super creative, uh, a great outlet for me. And, and I think that made my passion for content even grow further and how to adapt content for, for each of those brands. And then not too long after I um, took over uh, public relations on Garnier. So I embraced kind of this now integrated role that I'm in now as well, but doing public relations as well as um, social for Garnier and let go of Maybelline and Essie. And that was really great because there was definitely some aspects of the public relation role that I missed, um, having touched on it throughout my, in, in my previous roles. So I missed kind of, you know, talking to media and the eventing side and, you know, bringing together events and things that could touch on multiple so that whatever's happening in social can also be happening in terms of outreach and so on. So I think it just brought to life this idea of creating really great storytelling on multiple touch points. Right. So yeah, so I got to do that for a few years on Garnier and I took on also um, their website. So I was digital content manager. So it was really that 360 communications on, on, you know, on the website, through emails, through our media outreach and events that we did for media, through our influencer programs and through social. So you know, I just felt it was it was great to see these stories come to life full 360. And then I um, got promoted to work on the L'Oreal Paris brand back in 2017. And so very, very different 
from Garnier, as you could imagine. Um, And whereas Garnier was, you know, a bit more digital focused. I mean, L'Oreal Paris is for sure very digital focused as well. But we do, as I was telling you last time, we do have kind of these pillar events um, that are huge initiatives that take up a lot of, of time and a lot of passion. But we have our Women of Worth event, which is actually on right now where we get to honor 10 outstanding women nationally every year that volunteer their time to give back to their communities. And we have the Toronto Film Festival, which is another huge event, um, usually a mix of an in-person slash digital. This year it was mostly digital, but we have kind of these two pillar events. So it really made me flex new muscles and learn new things because I had never kind of brought to life such big executions before in person bringing in some of our spokespeople. So managing um, them and their like interviews with them and events with them. So this was kind of a whole new um, learning curve for me coming, coming from Garnier, which we, you know, didn't have these kind of huge pillar events with spokespeople um, before. Awesome. And, you know, I feel like, you know, Jessica, previous conversations we're both the type of people who like that constant change who like putting on those different hats but you know for some people that can be that can be difficult and that can be very hard for them so you know from going from different brands and um, to different projects and stuff like that like how do you kind of identify when it's the right time to kind of have that change and how do you how would you recommend other people identify that yeah, I think I, I we talked about this last time, but I I had I saw this great quote on so I'm like super into quotes. I'm cheesy like that, but I saw <laughs> I saw this great quote once that like was like dreams only die if you let them start, and that really spoke to me because I feel like there were points um, in my career where I kind of didn't feel I was learning and growing, um, right. where I was just kind of doing the status quo and. I know that, you know, not everyone has this craving for, for learning and growth all the time, but I think when you're feeling, when you're feeling kind of stuck and that you're not getting as much out of the role for me, that was, that was my signal. And I was kind of like feeling that not really learning, not really growing. Um, and I don't think I was bringing the best, the best to my role either, because you know, it's always great to have that eye on innovation and evolution for whatever role you're in. So I think it's at that point where you have to recognize, like, I'm not growing as a professional, but I'm also not pushing this role forward. So I think those are the the points in time that you have to push for a change. Right. And then like on a more deeper level too, like, by going between different brands now, obviously, that's a huge creative outlet for you. That's what you were, you were kind of touching on. Um, But, you know, going between those two, how are you kind of able to adapt really well to each and every role and to each and every brand? Because like you were saying, like Garnier can be so different from L'Oreal, from Essie, from Maybelline. You know, how are you able to keep up with all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's definitely an interesting it's almost like you have to it does take a while to learn a brand's DNA and to be able to communicate to others what that brand DNA is and make sure that the content you're releasing is really in line with that. So I think, you know, I think the best professionals um, for me anyways, are those who are flexible and adaptable. And even in this day and age with COVID, like I think even, even if you're, you were super, um, 
you were super effective in in kind of bringing to life your brand voice before everything has changed since COVID and the way we communicate has changed. So I think especially being a communications professional, we have to be flexible and adaptable and we have to almost kind of live and breathe the brand voice, um, the brand DNA and the brand voice of the brands we represent or we work with. So uh, I think that's kind of the signs of a, of a great communications professional is being able to like take it in, understand it, and then bring it to life in different ways and then adapt to what's out there. Like COVID, for example, how does, you know, your brand DNA execute in a time of COVID or how do we talk to consumers in a time of COVID and be real and authentic with them too. So. Yeah. And, you know, being a consumer in, this this COVID world and this pandemic induced environment, you know, we're all we're all on our phones. We're all like we can't go out and interact with people like we used to. And you know, once again, something we've touched on before. But how has that how has that changed exactly your role and how you promote your brand? Yeah. So I think when it comes to uh, content and social medias and how consumers are engaging, like everyone, even myself uh, included, has spent so much more time on social media. So we're really seeing engagement just thrive in those environments. But for us as a brand, it was really important to take a step back and really ensure we're giving consumers content that they're looking for. And that's going to provide them with value because, you know, the first thing we did when COVID hit was we formed kind of like a content tribe, if we call it, um and really took a look we wanted to make sure what we were putting out was exactly what people were looking for so that they would engage and that it was authentic so there was two things we did one is we put together meetings so we meet three times a week our little content tribe and we really look at what's trending out there so what are people searching for on google what are people searching for on amazon what are they buying what are their interests so that we can develop content really in line with that Um, and fill those voids. So one like super simple example was obviously hair salons were closed at the beginning of COVID, but many, many people were dyeing their hair at home for the first time. And that's like a scary process. I've done it. Um, And the first time I did it, obviously it's nerve wracking. So we wanted to have the resources ready for them. So we did how to videos, reference videos so that they can, you know, how to know how to pick their color no tips and tricks from experts on, you know, things to do to make sure you don't like stain your scalp or um, the color comes out the way you want it to, or even selecting the correct color can be an obstacle. So we made sure we had kind of all that content ready to go for, for that wave. Or when it came to wearing masks, when people started to go out again, we were seeing, you know, huge trends when it comes to mask knee or how to protect your skin when you're wearing masks. So that was another new challenge that consumers were facing. So, you know, we went to our experts and developed content in line with that. And another kind of shift that we did was in terms of the quality, maybe not quality of content, but the authenticity of the content. So, you know, we know the reality of everyone was, you know, everyone's at home. There's no studios were not open. We weren't able to, you know, hire studio crews to film some of these videos. So we actually had our experts record, you know, iPhone videos at home to walk consumers through. And I think it was just really, it still is engaging with people and it's really authentic to the moment. And, 
you know, people can can almost see themselves and feel brought into kind of the sphere with our experts. So it's almost like you're sitting with them on a Zoom call, but as they explain um, these new kind of challenges to you, so. I think even post COVID, it's, it's gonna be a huge thing that I think a lot of like consumers are still gonna engage with because like every every person who's purchasing from a company like wants to feel like they're a part of that brand and that they can connect with them like on a personal level because especially with with makeup and beauty, I feel like it's a whole new it's a whole new level of like wanting that relationship with your brand. Um, so that's really I, I definitely can see how that will even continue past COVID. And it's funny that you brought up hair dye. I've had to help. <laughs> I had to help um, a friend several times throughout the past few months, and I'm always so worried I'm gonna like mess it up. And I'm like, oh my god, I don't know if I it's, went too far on this part. Yeah, it's, so it's a it's amazing. We've seen so many couples too. Like I love that so much. We did a contest during the summer about people like submitting their home home hair color stories. And like couples having their husbands get, you know, the back of their oh head God. for them. But it was so sweet. And it's just like people have really embraced it. And I think like, you know, those some people who have been shied away from it in the past now are embracing doing it themselves. Yeah, so I think there's sure. definitely a DIY theme of, of COVID. So yeah, definitely bringing out our spare time, uh, getting us, uh, you know, with new passions and new new hobbies. So yeah. Um, but that's awesome how you're able to utilize that. And, you know, before COVID, after COVID, you've clearly been able to work on several types of projects. Um, and, you know, maybe it's one that you already talked about, but what's kind of been like your favorite or even just the one that allowed you to grow the most um, throughout your career? It might be a when you got to ponder on, but <laughs> that's a great question. Can I answer with two? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. So I think my favorite by far is our women of worth program. Um, I think it's been, you know, absolutely it's, this will be my fourth year. So we just launched our nomination phase and it's my fourth year working on this. And, um, every year is just as emotional and just as, um, I don't even know how to call it, but I get so involved in the program and the women and their stories. Um, I never like I, I never had visibility to how many amazing women are are in our country and are doing exceptional things for their communities, for others, um, for you know building support. Um, so so this has been definitely my passion program. Um, every year we've had 10 new amazing women that kind of join our, we call it like kind of our women of worth alumni. So we still have a Facebook yeah. group and keep in touch, but these women have, have, have such amazing stories that, you know, it, it, it's just so heartwarming to see this and to be able to honor them. So that's definitely the best part of my job to give you, um, I'll try to think of some, some of the stories, but, um, you know, we've had women over the years who um, many who have created support groups or support resources for, let's say, cancer patients. We've had last year, um, Glory Meldrum, who was our national honoree. So we also do a vote on our website for the national honoree. She created the Be Brave Ranch, which was all about helping, you know, children who had been sexually abused um, and provide different types of therapy for them. Um, through her programs and really revolutionizing that. The year before, we had Lynn Rosichuk, 
whose um, daughter was unfortunately the victim of domestic abuse and, you know, was, you know, died because of it. So she wanted to really create um, a, a safe house um, in her daughter's name. So it's Jesse's house out in Alberta. And um, she wanted to make it very inclusive because one, they didn't have any resources in, in their small town, but also there was a lot of restrictions when it came to who they would allowed to live there. And if they had larger families or kids, it was hard to keep everyone together. So she really wanted to make it inclusive to families. So just all these amazing stories you can imagine. So we get submissions of like hundreds every year and then, yeah. And then we pick 10, but like, it's, it's just so heartwarming to see so many people giving back to the communities. And I think especially in a year, like, like the one we've just experienced, like we need people like so definitely that one has been my, my, has a sweet spot in my heart and um, will definitely continue to. Um, and then I think in terms of like a, cha- a, a challenging one or one that has helped or pushed me to grow was probably our um, Toronto Film Festival execution this year. So we had to shift very quickly to more of a digital format, but I think it really forced us to put storytelling at the forefront, which we always try to do. But I think this year, more than ever, we had an amazing storyline about really. So as you know, the L'Oreal Paris brand is all about women's empowerment and you see that in the women of worth, but for the Toronto film festival, we engaged with five amazing uh, women in the film industry. So pioneers when it came to, uh, you know, directing, producing, writing, acting. And we wanted to really tell their stories of how they've paved their way uh, and made a name for themselves in the industry. So we shot bio videos with them and, and really pushed those out. And kind of all of our initiatives were really pushing emerging women talent in the industries. We gifted passes to some like up and coming talent we also were sponsor of the Emerging Talent Award. Um, so it was just like really great to be able to shift gears quickly and see how we can make this festival live more digitally or like our execution, sorry, of the festival live more digitally than we have in past years. And it was my first kind of big digital event. We had Viola Davis, one of our spokespeople with us for the day. So kind of executing that where we, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking it would, it would be um, less work if you want to say to do a digital event, but you know, Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of other um, things to think about and, you know, new uh, exploring new reasons. Yeah. New processes, new ways of working, making sure there's no technical glitches um, and still providing something that people will enjoy and want to, you know, and, and come to and engage with. So I think that was definitely a huge learning experience for me. I think that is a huge, um, portion and challenge of, you know, working virtually is being able to provide that same sort of value for people, um, when it comes to events and initiatives and whatever you may be doing. I definitely do think that is a huge portion. And, you know, clearly throughout the content you guys are doing, events, everything, storytelling is a huge portion of it. Yeah. And sorry, continue. I was just going to yeah. say, like, I think it has pushed us to innovate 
which I think is like sure. one of the positive aspects of, of the pandemic is that, you know, now, even now we're seeing like Zoom fatigue be a thing. And, you know, exactly. we, we have to innovate, we have to think of new ways to engage, whether it be consumers or even engage with um, media and influencers and you know, how can we bring bring them things that are of value to them or to their audiences to kind of let us stand out? So I think I think we're going to see this nice wave now of innovation and different ways of ex- like different content venues and different ways. TikTok is going to be, you know, yeah, for continue sure. <laughs> to be a fun outlet. Um, so uh, very excited to see how how things switch up too. Yeah, I am definitely guilty of spending too much time on TikTok. I will have to keep my phone away from my desk sometimes. I'll just be like, no temptations. Um, But yeah, no, like the reason that I wanted to bring up storytelling too is, you know, since we were talking about the Women of Work program, I think that, like, first of all, it's outstanding to see all these stories from all these diverse women. And I think a lot of us sometimes forget about certain, like, issues that are going on around the country, a city, the world. Um, because it's not something we experience firsthand, right? So by seeing these stories, you're kind of reminded of that. And I guess the question that I kind of wanted to, you know, propose from there is sometimes storytelling, I feel like, especially for us young undergraduate female students, can be something difficult. You know, sometimes we feel like we don't know exactly where we are in our path, or, you know, we just maybe don't have the the confidence to, you know, go out there and, and talk about yourself. We don't want to seem like we're self-absorbed or whatever it may be. Um, no, it's a real fear I've noticed amongst people that I think it's a real fear that um, young females have. So what advice would you have for young females to really embrace storytelling in their, in their journey? Mm, that's such a good question. Um, it, I'm like, I'm trying to think of how to answer that. Like, I don't think, I think like that's really something I think I, not to be, not to make this like a male versus female thing, but I, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, I think talking about our journeys, one, I think there's something about women supporting women. And I think the more women can open up and talk about their journeys, um it will encourage others to do so I think I think it's something that's scary like don't get me wrong I still struggle with um you know putting my stories out there or celebrating my whims or celebrating my journey forget that celebrating my failures as well and being able to talk about them openly so but I think the more we're able to do that the less of like a stigma will be attached to it so I think like we're getting better at that. And I think we have to celebrate mm. each other. So like, I think we're seeing, we're seeing more of it for sure, but I think we could push it further and just like support your friends. And when they're telling their stories or their journeys or expressing, you know, achievements or failures, make sure you stay supportive and, and vice versa, you'll get that support back. So I think this whole, I think it's just about, you know, really being supportive to, to, um, keep that door and that conversation open. Yeah, no, I think so too. Cause as soon as we are, we're not supportive, right. That entire conversation is shut down. Um, no, that's a really great point that you brought up. I definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a huge challenge and I think we are making progress. So I'm just really excited to see like when, you know, the girls my age, when, when we go into the workforce, like what it's yeah. going to be like, I feel like within like even the next few years, I think there's going to be 
or I hope at least that there's going to be a lot of change with, you know, how women interact um, with their organizations and just with each other, with male counterparts. Um, I'm really excited to see exactly how, how that'll go. Um, so to kind of, you know, connect to that and end things off, um, I guess I would just kind of ask, you know, what final advice would you have for young females or really just anyone um, entering their, their given industry or their given career um, in the next few years? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think I'd have a few. Um, yeah. The first one is kind of, well, definitely women. I think supporting women um, is a big one. And, you know, I think um, mentorship, either look for mentors, but also be open to mentor others is is great. I've learned so much from mentors that I've had, but also in mentoring others. So I think that's super interesting. Another piece of advice, I know this is going to sound like really odd, but I I always tell my team this and it's not like, it's not in a pushy way, but never take no for an answer. <laughs> so okay, I, like I, that. Think, I think it's a funny one, but when it comes to like chasing your dreams or bringing your vision to life, I always like for myself anyways, not to say that I like when someone tells me no, I will keep pushing and pushing. It's not <laughs> that, but it's like, how do we go back and reinvent it? Or how do we, um, especially when you're bringing like a project to life, how can we, how can we change it up or get it to a place where, where we're still bringing that vision to life, but maybe in a different way? Um, mm -hmm. Or how do we go about, you know, meeting a deadline when it seems impossible? So I always like feel like, or, you know, if, if you have a dream job that you want to go after um, and you get said no once, like that shouldn't be like, it's like dust yourself, like try again. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's something that I've kind of lived by is, is, you know, if you feel passionate about a project uh, or a, a job uh, initiative, then go for it and kind of put your whole heart into it and find innovative ways to, to stand out or overcome obstacles. Um, and then I think, yeah, I think that one kind of touches on it too, is like, I think always be open to learning and growing and um, explore different career paths. Um, I think for me, like uh, the big word is innovation and, um, you know, kind of staying ahead of that curve, be curious. I think curious is probably yeah. the, um, the one thing that, you know, makes when I'm looking for a role, it's, it's what makes someone stand out from others is that curiosity to, you know, dig deep, find out like what's be ahead of trends, see what's going to happen. Um, so I think be curious and, and don't take no for an answer per se. <laughs> I like, I like that. No, I think it really does all come you know, the change that we're talking about being adaptable to oh, that change. Great. Yeah. And it really is something transferable between like any life lesson that you have. So I definitely think that's some awesome advice. And I definitely agree. So I would like to thank you, Jessica, once again, for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We're so honored to have you. Um, just another amazing guest to add to our series. So thank you again. And to our listeners that are here today, uh, we really hope that you enjoyed today's episode um, and make sure to tune in to our next episode of the Unapologetic Podcast. Bye, everyone.